0: The following podcast uses words that lawyers don't use in court, even though they're thinking them.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 326 of the Thinking Else At Podcast. Today on the show, we talked about, I mean, we had a lot of things. I say what, there was a theme at the beginning that was like, hey, should people pursue a legal career? Uh, it seems like most of the emails at the beginning kind of touched on that.
0: Yeah, but it was a bunch of real applicants with real LSAT scores, and we we had information about people's diagnostics and how they prepped and how far they were able to come, and and then you know a lot of uh, yeah interesting decisions about you know whether to get accommodations, whether to even go to law school at all. Um,
1: whether to apply now. Should I go
0: right now or yeah. put it off? Uh, lo- yeah, lots of useful mailbag stuff. Um, before that, we did a logical reasoning question from prep test 73 We did a uh, supported question from Test73. Yep. And and then we wrapped it up with a <laughs> the best personal statement we received all week.
1: Uh, which wasn't that great. So <laughs> <no>. <laughs> this will air on Monday, November 29th. Um, in a few days, you're going to see the January LSAT registration deadline. That's December 3rd, Wednesday, December 3rd. So if you're thinking about that test, make sure you register before then. Uh, you have a study group as always preparing for the January, 2022 LSAT that's on Thursdays, 4 PM Pacific, 7 PM Eastern. And basically all you need is a demon free account. So go to lsatdemon.com sign up for a free account. And then on Thursdays, go to Nathan's class and he will motivate you to start studying for this test.
0: Hopefully, yeah, ultimately, you're going to have to do the work. But one of the things that we do in that study group is talk about a commitment to studying a little bit every day. Yep. You know, ideally, you find one high quality hour every day. And uh, yeah, come to my study group. And hopefully you'll find some other like minded folks who are on that same path.
1: Cool. Hey, uh, I listened to the podcast that you sent to me.
0: Oh, the Work 2.0 thing from Hidden Brain? Yes. Great, yeah. great
1: episodes. Actually, you sent me two. Um, I was going to share with you one takeaway I had from it. So in one of the okay. episodes, uh, they were talking about the power of simulators, right? Flight simulators and how they help people become way better pilots because now you've experienced a lot of things before you even you even have your first sure. flight. And not only do you have you experienced a lot of things, you've experienced the very challenging things. You can take a similar simulator and recreate the the rare occurrences that are likely to lead to accidents because when they do happen, they are rare, right? So people don't know how to deal with them. Anyways, as I was thinking about this, I was like, there's got to be <laughs> something like that for driving. Because you know, my oldest son just started driving and I have him drive every time I go with him because it's like even just random little things will happen. Like we were turning left. He did it fine, but he got mildly like anxious because there was a person behind him and he had kind of stayed a little bit into the other lane and so they honked at him, you know, so then he's like kind of like gunning forward like like a little fast and we, you know, we get into the parking lot. It's fine and I think in his head he's like, well, I got this driving thing down and I'm like, there's a thousand of those like little random things that you yeah. are preventable, but you're not realizing your tail's out just a little. Like, why did you come into that left turn lane, but leave your tail out just a little bit? That's just not like, my gut is screaming, like, get over, like, you know? Yeah. But in his head, he's like, <laughs> yeah. just focused on the people coming towards him and turning left. Right. So then I was like, is there a car simulator for teenagers? So you can just give them all those experiences. Like, here's some rain, here's some snow, crash. And stop thinking that, you know, you got this because maybe, maybe you could, you know, benefit from a little bit more experience.
0: That is a great idea. Yeah, there should. Why isn't there? That is kind of weird that the first thing we do to teach people to drive is like they read some small pamphlet or whatever. And then it's like, okay, let's go get in an actual automobile and start driving around. Um,
1: And, And there are these like times, right? They're like, okay, you have to spend 40, at least in Virginia, you have to spend 45 hours, I think, driving with a permit, which means you're driving usually with your parent for those times. But what are those times? A lot of that is just plain old driving that doesn't create those scenarios where you're most likely to have a problem. It's better than nothing, but we could have a lot more.
0: Anyways. I sent you those podcast episodes because I hoped that you would get inspired with ideas about our our actual business that we have, uh, which is LSAT preparation, not driving instruction. But uh, (laughs) yeah, you're... I I definitely did,
1: actually. So we we, we have more to talk about, but... Um, we'll have oh, to good. roll those out. I want to talk
0: to the listeners I, I am very interested in gamifying the Elsa yep. I want to gamify the Elsa yep. uh, and I want to gamify my classes and I want to gamify the demon but I don't want to do the cheesy gamification where it's just like you earned fake golden coins you know yeah. like, I, <laughs> I, like I feel like our audiences are too smart to be motivated by that type of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, But I do want to make it more fun and competitive. So I'm looking for ways to do that. You can email the show anytime, help at thinkinglsat.com. I would love to hear your ideas about how the LSAT and the LSAT demon could be gamified. Yep.
1: Cool. Let's go. All righty. Let's start with this logical reasoning question. Looks like you're reading today. Yep.
0: I'll read, I'll shut up, and you uh, are going to do the question. Cool. This is from Test 73, Section 2, number 23. If anybody wants to play along at home, you can go dig up that question and uh, hit pause on the podcast while you do it. Yep. Anyway, the argument says, a developing country can substantially increase its economic growth if its business people are willing to invest in modern industries that have not yet been pursued there
1: okay so you have developing countries they're behind presumably other countries and they apparently lack some modern industries it kind of makes sense to me that you could substantially boost your economic growth if people jump into those modern industries that aren't there yet just sounds like a golden opportunity Um, so yeah okay Got it.
0: And you're probably noting there that it is a conditional statement. Sure. It's a, it's conditioned on if its business people are willing to invest in modern industries that have not yet been pursued there, then the developing company can substantially increase its economic growth.
1: Absolutely. Um, that tells me that this is one situation in which you could substantially increase your economic growth as a country it doesn't tell me that it's the only way, but it certainly is a way.
0: There could be other ways is what you're telling me. Yep. Great. But being the first to invest in an industry is very risky.
1: Okay. Um, I'm curious whether this person is trying to prove this idea or if this is just presented as a fact. Because if it's just presented as a fact, fine. I just have to accept it. If the person's trying to prove this idea, I have to say I'm a little skeptical. I mean, sure, you might be the first person in the industry in that country, but if you've seen that industry take off somewhere else, like, I don't know, is it really very risky or just a little risky because it's somewhere new? Okay.
0: Moreover, business people have little incentive to take this risk since if the business succeeds, many other people will invest in the same industry and the competition will cut into their profits.
1: Hmm. Okay, so this, moreover, (laughs) clues me in that this person is like doubling down on this... like, the problems with investing. So I don't think the second sentence is actually a conclusion. To me, it just seems like a bunch of facts. Like, by the way, you could benefit if people did this thing, but... They don't really, they have a reason not to, and they have another reason not to. <laughs> so it seems like this person, I know the, the passage is over, but it seems like what this person is getting at is that they, they don't think people are likely to do this, or business people are likely to invest in modern industries that have not been pursued in whatever country we're talking about. But the argument or the passage never said that. I'm just, It just yeah. seems like that's where it's going.
0: I agree. The overall gist comes off a little bit pessimistic yeah. because it's like, well, a developing company or a country, if you wanted to increase your economic growth, then, you know, it, one way to do that is if business people are willing to invest in modern industries, brand new stuff that hasn't been pursued yet. And then it's like, but that's really risky because, you know, if you do that, then you have to make this investment and then other people will come in and undercut your profits if it succeeds, so it's risky. And if, even if it works, you're going to get your profits undercut. So it's kind of like, yeah, well, probably people won't want to do this necessarily, yeah. but because this is the LSAT, you know, and we're savvy. We, we look at that and we go, well, wait a second though. They still could do that.
1: They definitely could. Yep.
0: Like entrepreneurs are wildly optimistic, right? Mm-hmm. That's one of the main traits of people who do this type of shit is that they always think they're going to win no matter what. So Um,
1: well, this Debbie Downer is focusing on the risks and it's like, well, what about the opportunities? (laughs) These lawyers (laughs) telling
0: us all the reasons why we can't do this. Yeah. Okay. The statements above, if true, most strongly support which one of the following claims?
1: Okay. I'm not surprised at all by this question. It's a supported question, which is essentially just a must be true question. Hey, given what you just read, which answer essentially has to follow from the information that you read? And I'm not surprised that that's the question because the passage didn't seem like an argument. It was just, hey, here's a random fact. Here's some other random facts. Um, So where are you going with this?
0: Yeah, you felt it coming, which is yet another example of why it's a waste of time and a bad idea to Read the question before you read the passage. Mm-hmm. Ben read the passage and kind of anticipated the question, which happens more often than not. All right, so you're just looking for something that these facts prove. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. All right. One of my predictions here for sometimes. Do you, I don't know if you do this, Ben? Do you like think about what wrong answers might be? <laughs> um,
1: sometimes I would say though, most of the time I'm just kind of going with two things. One, my loose prediction was, hey, this person doesn't think this is likely to happen, that these business people are likely to invest. And two, um, the correct answer really could be, uh, this is just something I keep in my mind, anything that must be true. So the correct answer may be something that's proven solely by the first sentence. it's like, okay, or the last sentence. And so I'm open to that. It's like, I have my prediction, but I also know that it's just anything that must be true.
0: All right. My leading question failed. Um I, what I was looking for there, I was I was trying to see if you would say the confusing of sufficient for necessary um. that first sentence was a conditional, right? So it's like when I read I mean to like give my actual thought process mm. as I was reading this, mm. I read that first sentence, I saw the conditional and I was immediately like, okay, either this argument's going to confuse sufficient for necessary or one of the wrong answers on a must-be-true is going to confuse sufficient for necessary. Sure,
1: absolutely. I mean, especially when they use the word if, there's more than one way to use the word if, or to create a conditional statement. But when they use if, it's kind of like they're inviting us to recognize it as an if-then statement. They realize that people will do that and then unfortunately make some assumptions. Like a, a super common one would be like, oh, the business people aren't likely to invest in these modern industries. And if they don't, oh, that sucks. We're not going to see a substantial increase in economic growth, but you totally could because this is just one way to get economic growth.
0: I'm willing to, I would wager, you know, I think 85% of the time here, you're going to find that as one of the wrong answers. Absolutely. And it can be good to prime yourself for that. This is like doing the test on a, way higher level, right? This is how people eventually just run the table on LSAT logical reasoning Mm -hmm. and, you know, go 25 for 25. It's like, not only are you predicting the right answers, but you're just, you know, what types of wrong answers they're likely to include. And it makes it so that it doesn't even touch you. You just, you see it coming and and you just dodge it, you know, easily.
1: Absolutely. And the thing about that, if you hear that and you're like, Nathan, I, you know, I'm never gonna get there. You absolutely can. This test repeats itself over and over and over again. This is a different, we've never, I don't think I've ever read this exact argument, right? Like, oh, developing country, economic growth and investing in modern industries. Never read that exact thing, but the pattern, the underlying logic is just the same as so many other arguments we've seen.
0: Yeah. it really is predictable. They don't. They're not hiding the ball at all. Yep. They're. It's the same types of, same types of patterns in their arguments and passages that they present, and then it's the same types of traps that they're seeing if you'll just blunder into. Um, and sufficient for necessary. It's just. It's on every single test multiple times. Mm-hmm. So it's a clear example of how the LSAT really is easy. Um, once you get tuned into it the right way. So anyway, here comes the, uh, answer choices, the wrong answer choices, as I like to refer to them, because four out of five of these are going to be wrong and you need to expect them to be wrong. Uh, a once a developing country has at least one business in a modern industry. Okay. I'm guessing you're almost (laughs) ready to tune out on this, right? It's like, what? You're going to make a prediction after once a developing country does have at least one business in a modern industry? Okay, once they do, Mm -hmm. further investment in that industry will not contribute to the country's economic growth.
1: Yeah, way too strong. Um, The passage did say, hey, look, business people have little incentive to take this risk since if the business succeeds, many other people will come in. But that doesn't say anything about whether the economic growth will continue or not. For all I know, as more people come in, the economic growth for the country as a whole takes off. So this... This answer is wrong for at least two reasons. The first part, which you alluded to, once a developing country has at least one business in a modern industry, we never talked about that. We only talked about a business going into a modern industry and then succeeding. And then if a business does go into a modern industry and succeeds, which we don't know about here, will that help or hurt the economic growth of the country? For all I know, it helps. So this is dead wrong.
0: Yeah, right. We know it would hurt the first company. Yeah. Because it would cut into their profits, but we don't know that it would not help the nation as a whole. And I mean, also common sense wise, if you got multiple new entrants into a industry, into a new industry, a modern industry, that sounds good for the economy as a whole. I mean, I don't see how that's going to be bad. Okay in developing countries, there is greater competition within modern industries than within traditional industries. You started shaking your head there really early on. Why?
1: Yeah. Well, it said in developing countries. Okay. So we are talking about what can happen in a developing country, but it says there is greater competition within modern industries than within traditional industries. I mean, as soon as they said greater, I, I was shaking my head because I don't remember the passage comparing anything to anything else like in terms of relative like oh this is more this is less um it said if you did this thing then something would substantially increase but i i wanted to hear the rest of it at the same time i was highly skeptical and now that we've read the rest of it it's like greater competition we have no clue what the competition is like within traditional industries
0: so could it be greater could it be less than could it be the same I have no idea they didn't even try to prove that comparison yep see a developing country can increase its prospects for economic growth by providing added incentive for investment in modern industries that have not yet been pursued there okay so we do know
1: from the first sentence that if business people do invest in modern industries in a developing country And those modern industries haven't been pursued there, which is exactly... It's like answer choice C is using this exact same language, right? We know Mm -hmm. that a developing country can substantially increase its economic growth. So when it says a developing country can increase its prospects for economic growth by by providing added incentives, it's like, wait a sec. I could see some people saying they never said that term, but I get the idea. If you... At, make it easier for these business people to invest in these modern industries, then it's going to become more likely that they do, and that may increase its prospects, its chances for economic growth. It's it's totally. it's not really saying much else. You know, it's not going beyond well, the passage by any stretch of the imagination. Incentives
0: are totally, well, it did say business people have little incentive to take the risk. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, so they did talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Adding new incentives. Mm -hmm. So the the new element in C is adding new incentives. And you're right that some students are going to be like, no way, new incentives were not mentioned. I can't pick this answer. But I have a feeling this is going to turn out to be correct because the second and third sentences both we're like, Hey, you know, there's not a lot of incentive for businesses to do this Mm -hmm. because it's risky. And because even if you succeed, these other companies can come in and undercut your profit. And one kind of natural retort, I actually did think it, I was like, well, but what if we set up some sort of a fund where we encouraged businesses to leap into this new industry? Mm -hmm. You know, what if we gave them free startup capital to, to jump in? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think C is strictly must be true. Sure. But then again, this is not a strict must be true question, right? This is a supported question, which is like a slightly softer version of a must be true. Yep. Okay, I don't think we can eliminate C. D, a developing country will not experience economic growth unless its business people invest in modern industries. Okay,
1: this is actually confusing sufficient for necessary. It's suggesting that business people investing in modern industries, it doesn't even mention the ones that haven't been pursued there, but um, it's it's assuming that that's necessary, or it's saying that that's necessary, that you to grow, you have to do this. And they never said that. They said, if you do this, then you can grow. Not if you grow, if you want to
0: grow, you have to do this. Or if you don't do this, you won't grow. Mm -hmm. Um, this is the wrong answer that I predicted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the one that I was 85% willing to wager was going to be there. Yeah. E investments in a modern industry in a developing country carry little risk. As long as the country has at least one other business in that industry.
1: Okay, they never said that the risk would go away um, once <laughs> someone tried it. Um, so
0: in- yeah, it suggests that it's risky for the first mover, but saying it's risky for the first mover doesn't mean it's not also risky for everybody else who goes into the industry. Yeah. Um, returning to C...
1: I I love this answer because it doesn't take any risks with the wording. It uses the exact same wording from the passage. And so it makes it very easy to justify this, except for the one new phrase, providing added incentive, but it makes perfect sense as you did, because it's countering the incentives that they, or the negative incentives that they talked about at the end of this passage.
0: Beautiful. That is the correct answer for a supported question. Cool. It's the safest one. It's not strictly 100% proven, but you just can't pick any of those other answers. And surely those facts are suggesting that C is correct. I know that some students push back there like, well, what do you mean? New incentives. That's a what government providing new incentives. Yeah. I mean, where did that come from? Yeah. Yeah. But look, they said it's risky Other companies might come in and steal your profits, so they're not likely to do this. But if they did it, it would increase our economic growth substantially. Well, it surely at least opens the door to see. Yeah. And the other answers are just like wild whiffs or you know, errors like confusing sufficient for necessary. So hopefully you can at least back into the correct answer there. Yeah.
1: Well, just as you said, and we said this last week, I mean, the problem is always fine. There's a problem with this answer choice, but what answer did you pick? It's always 10 times worse. Not, not just two.
0: (laughs) Right. Okay, cool. Well, um. All right. Why don't you read this uh, email from Chris? Yeah. Hey guys,
1: I know you've talked about this before, so if you want to point me to the specific episode, I'll just go listen to that for my answer, okay? I'm not trying to do a woe is me thing or be a victim or anything, but I was diagnosed with ADD as a child, and it's clearly still an issue for me today at age 30, LSAT and everything else. Yep, ADD, which is now officially ADHD, um, is a lifelong thing. It doesn't, like, go away. My, diagno- do- my diagnostic was a 152 which is a great diagnostic, by the way. And I've maxed out at 165 while my fir- while my first LSAT result was a 160. Yeah.
0: 152 diagnostic is vastly higher than, I mean, most people don't start that high. Yep. Um, so that doesn't sound like you're struggling too bad with ADD, but I'm not a doctor. Yeah.
1: Well, you also say I've maxed out at 165. I have no idea what where you're making that judgment. I feel like we've heard we hear this every now and then. It's like, okay, you've done five tests, none of them went above 165, yeah. and now you're like, I can't get any further. It's like, hmm, maybe you just need to take That's more. That's my tests.
0: hypothesis. Yeah. Then no, no, Chris did like maybe Chris did you know 10 tests. Yep. Or even 20 tests, and the last four of them are all 165s. And then it's like, well, that's it. I've hurt my, have hit my max. Mm, no, you haven't. Not necessarily. You don't know that. There, it's always a conclusion, right? That you don't. Uh, there's no evidence for that. Yeah.
1: There's 96, 98, some odd tests. <laughs> so you have a lot of tests you could still take. I've started talking yeah. to a shrink, and I'm working on actually getting medication, not just for the LSAT but for life in general. I'm working in court admin. And I think some meds just might improve a lot of my work and life. Um this is interesting. Or a
0: new job. <laughs> Chris is getting meds to deal with his job.
1: Yeah. I um so I this is interesting to read this because I just finished this book called ADHD 2.0. Um, Oh, great. By, oh shoot, I can't remember the author. But if you search for ADHD 2.0, you'll definitely find it. It's one of the more well-known books in that area. I would, Chris, if you haven't read that book, I would read it. Because it talks all about medication and it also talks about all these things that people can do, including, as you just said, Nathan, finding a job that fits you well. I mean, that's good advice for anybody. But with ADHD, you're kind of putting yourself through unnecessary misery if you've found a job that does not, scratch your itch. Anyways, still, I feel like it's cheating if I ask for accommodations within a written letter, with a written letter from a doctor. Is it? Should I feel that way? I haven't been granted an accommodation, but it feels immoral or something. Like I can't hang with everyone else, even though I know I'm capable. What do you two LSAT gurus think? I'm pretty sure you've said that schools don't know if you had accommodations, but still, there's something about it that I don't like. Thanks for your time. Nathan?
0: Um, It sounds totally legit to me. You were diagnosed with ADD as a child. You're talking to a shrink right now. That shrink's gonna write you a prescription. That same shrink's going to write you a letter to the LSAC. You're going to get automatically accommodated. Uh, It sounds like exactly what the accommodations are for.
1: It doesn't seem like an edge case.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, you are clearly entitled to these accommodations. These accommodations are, I think, wildly overpowered um, I, I think that like they they don't really make it level. They make it like ridiculous. So you know Chris is gonna go from he started with a one fifty two and he's already at one sixty five with no accommodations. So he's easily gonna be into the ninety. He's gonna be one seventy something, right? Yeah. He's gonna be like ninety eighth percentile, um, which doesn't seem like it. it the so. <laughs> whether you, you, I mean, you are legally entitled to these accommodations. Like it's just, that's the system that we're in. And I don't think that it's, um, I don't think it's immoral. I don't think it's cheating. I don't think the system necessarily is fair because it's like, you're you're going to end up like accommodating yourself into the 98th or 99th percentile, which seems, see, that does, I agree. That seems icky, but that's the game we're playing. And that's like... You know, lawyers mostly don't change the game. Lawyers play within the rules of the game. So that's the rules of the game. If you want to keep playing this game, I think you should do it.
1: Yeah, there's some serious question as to whether the rules that have been crafted are the right rules. But they are the rules. And, heck, you don't know the other advantages that people have as they've prepared for the test. Well,
0: it... <laughs> If you think that these rules are unfair and you want to do something about it, uh, the best thing that you could do is use these rules to your advantage and then go become a lawyer and then try to do something about it. Like you opting out of, you know, like you not taking advantage of these accommodations isn't going to do shit to change this system. Like all you're going to be doing is just not taking advantage of something that you could take advantage of. Yeah. Yeah. So like this is, you know, I mean, you can think of it as, oh, well, bank error in my favor, whatever. Like, I, you know, it's like that's it. You're, I don't know. You're just not going to fix anything by not taking these accommodations. And as Ben said, this is not an edge case. You are clearly entitled to these accommodations. Law schools will not know that you were accommodated. Um, you know, you'll know that you were accommodated which you know maybe maybe that but if if that's the issue if chris is like i don't know if i morally can get can take can accept these accommodations that's not for us to decide that's for you to decide yep um for my money if you want to be a lawyer yes you should go get these accommodations yeah
1: i would still recommend reading that book ADHD 2.0 and it, let's see it's by Dr. Hallowell, who has ADHD himself. Anyways. Um...
0: Yeah, I am going to read this book because I definitely need to educate myself on this issue. Um, I'm going to request it from my public library branch and get it delivered to the branch for me to pick up. That's awesome, dude. I love the library. I went yesterday, picked up like four books. It was fantastic. All right. Ready to keep moving on. Moving along. Yeah, so
1: you want to take this one from Giovanni?
0: Yeah. All right. Um, th- Hello, Ben and Nathan. Thank you for the podcast and the demon. I gave up going to law school last year when I stopped lying to myself. I no longer want to become a lawyer and I found happiness pursuing a path toward IT slash cybersecurity. Okay. (laughs) Victory sounds great. I mean, like that's a growing field that will never stop growing in our lifetimes. And it's uh, nothing but opportunity. I'm sure you can call your own shots. Fantastic. I I think you're gonna make more money than an average lawyer would. I think you're gonna be wildly successful. Yep. Last year, I struggled to raise my LSAT from 147 until I found the demon. While working full time, I studied diligently and was excited to score in the mid 150s on a practice test. This excitement faded as I talked to lawyers about their day-to-day work and imagined myself in the same position. <laughs> That's uh, pretty common when you um, people like watch TV and stuff and they think, oh boy, it's so glamorous to be a lawyer. And then when they actually get to know a lot of lawyers and talk about what they do every single day, um, and, you know, boy, Giovanni did some good work here, imagining himself in the same position as these actual lawyers thinking about, do I want to do that every day and realized, no, I don't want to do that every day (laughs) and found something else. That's amazing. Yeah. Once I decided against law school, I let my strengths guide my future. And I got the opportunity to work for SpaceX. Boy, I love that idea, Ben, of letting your strengths guide your future. You know, yeah, you can either try not, to
1: fix weaknesses or leverage strengths.
0: Right, and, and and maybe you should do both. But like, we're not not about hard work, mm-hmm. right? We like it. The LSAT is easy, but it sometimes requires a lot of work to start to see how easy it actually is. Yeah, and. It's like step one, though, Mm -hmm. pick the things that you're the best at. Do things that you're really good at. Do things that you're naturally good at and then work really hard. Or uh,
1: so this is uh, I have to. This idea has stuck in my head for a while, and I don't know if it's true or not, but in the book, I don't know if it was Grit by Angela Duckworth or another one of her books. But she said that a lot of people come to really like something after they put in a lot of time into it. And so that kind of and so then her recommendation was for your kids or something like that to have them commit to something for at least a year because it's natural for them to say, hey, I'm not good at this, I don't like it, and back out. I don't know if that's true. Um I don't know what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? Like some of it also just might be innate interest. There's even a reading comp passage about this, right? Like, is your skill, are you succeeding? Are you succeeding in something because you have this innate interest in it? Or does your interest come from kicking ass at it? But, anyways, just throwing out part that.
0: of it. I, I'm not saying you have to be immediately successful, but you have to like, want to show up to it every day. Right. Mm-hmm. That's because that's part of being good at it. Mm-hmm. If you can get here every day and do a one high quality hour of LSAT every day, then in a way you're good at the LSAT. Mm-hmm. You're good at the hard work, but comp- you're good at the like attention component of mm-hmm. it. It, it. So I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying like, there are doors that are more open yeah. to people. Yeah. Not everybody has an equal opportunity at every single door. Some people are naturally better at certain things. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of like a shortcut for life. I'm not saying don't ever do things that are hard for you. Yeah. But I am saying, like, if you're going to pick a career, you're going to be doing this every single day professionally. You're going to develop a professional reputation as, you know, you're either the person who kicks ass at this or you're not the person who kicks ass at this. Yeah. And like, you should probably go in a direction where you have some natural aptitude. Right. And then don't expect it to be easy. And just because you like it doesn't mean that you're going to be actually that great at it or like want to continue doing it. And it's okay to quit and try something else. But as of, as a first step, you know, if I was a career counselor, it wouldn't be like in your fantasy world, what what do you want to do? Because people would be like, oh, I want to be the starting power forward for the Los Angeles Lakers. And, and, you know, you'd be like, yeah, OK, but you're not tall or strong or fast mm-hmm. or coordinated. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right. Like, you know, I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying it's going to be a. Serious uphill battle. I don't know. I, I just, I like it that, I like it that Giovanni, that's a, it seems to be smart to me to let your strengths guide your future.
1: I, I agree. I just trying to think about the nuts and bolts of that, right? Cause it's also easy to just try something, have it be a little challenging, and then be like, well, I guess this is not my strength. It's like, well, maybe you need to give it a little time. I think that's what she was saying. But if you're really, if you give it the time and effort and you're still just like, you know, um, struggling, then maybe that's not your natural aptitude.
0: Yeah. And I guess with, but with lawyer shit, Mm -hmm. boy, you've got to have uncommon levels of grit, right? You've got to like, you can't, this is not for quitters. It's not for quitters.
1: Yeah. Although I wonder how much grit those people have. Like I wonder how much they actually like it. You know, you talk about your friend Nikki Black all the time. On some level, she likes it, right? She has a lot of fucking grip,
0: but right, right. Well, but she also has aptitude, you know. Yeah. I guess the the people that I'm really concerned about is like, oh, I'm a I I don't like to read. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not really a reader. I'm a slow reader. I don't I don't really like. Yeah, I don't read books. Yeah. I mean, Nikki Black is like in book clubs and stuff, even though she spends 12 hours a day on screens. Mm -hmm. You know, she's she's when we play board games, she's the first one to grab the rule book and read the whole thing. Yeah. And it's like I I don't know. I, I see people who are, you know, like not great at English Um, sometimes because English is their second language, but not always, Mm -hmm. it's just that they're not like super powerful in English. They don't really like to read when they do read, they are slow at it. Mm -hmm. And then they come in, they start going down this path and it's like, wow, okay. You're, you gotta be real, real committed to this because I don't know, Giovanni would say, maybe you're not letting your strengths guide your future. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get a bunch of hate mail with people saying, oh, Nathan is an elitist and thinks that if you're not naturally good at English or if English isn't your second language, you shouldn't do this. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I, I am saying that, like, you are entering into a realm where the majority of your competition is like real, real strong in that area.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's just like, who do you want to pick a fight with?
1: No, I actually, um, I, 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 maybe it sounds like I'm disagreeing, but I, I agree that your strengths should let you guide your future. I'm just not sure that people have a good sense of what their strengths necessarily are. Yeah. Um, I don't know.
0: Anyways. <laughs> I mean. I guess you're right, because a lot of people are like, well, no, but I'm doing this because I like to argue. I really like to argue a lot. That's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. My strength is in arguing. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, the, <laughs> maybe the case, but your strength better also be in reading
1: mm-hmm. and because writing. you're going to
0: mostly be reading and writing. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, back to Giovanni's email. Though I loved uh, the company SpaceX, the three and a half hour commute was not sustainable leading to a career change. I wonder if the, uh, that I'm hoping that that was both ways a round trip three yeah. and a half hour commute. Um, what SpaceX is down like South LA. So if Giovanni lived like in the Valley or something, I could see that being a three and a half hour commute.
1: I'm confused Um, by your, your solution though. Like you're like, Oh, I had this problem. And so then I changed careers. You could also move,
0: but anyways, well, sounds like probably is going to happen because yesterday I accepted my job offer to work in it for NASA as a contractor And I'm excited for a future that combines something I enjoy, something I am good at, and something that pays well. I'm glad that Giovanni is thinking about my (laughs) three-circle Venn diagram that I stole from the internet. Sure, (laughs) That's what we need to look for, y'all. We need to look for things that we enjoy and that we're good at and that pays well. And the last one is the easiest one. If you can find those two first things, you love it and you're good at it, I, I don't think the money part's ever going to be a problem. Um, I say this not to brag, but to show others it's okay to change plans and look at the future beyond the LSAT and law school. I am thankful for the knowledge I have gained from the show, and I want to wish both of you and the rest of the staff the best of luck. Thank you, Giovanni. P.S. I looked at the Demon website today, and whoever upgraded it deserves a raise. Cool. Thought you would like that, Ben. You deserve a raise. Oh,
1: thanks. Although the credit really goes to Stefan, who's the same designer who redid Spotify and Kickstarter. So sweet. Thanks, Stefan.
0: Thanks, Stefan. Site looks great. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Giovanni, boy, best wishes. Yep. Find us on LinkedIn if you haven't already. I'd love to follow your NASA career. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, Want to move on to this next yeah, one?
1: Yeah, this one is from Hayden. Hello, Ben and Nathan. I value your opinions as I'm a demon subscriber and a longtime listener to the podcast. After receiving a 169 on the October LSAT, I started applying to law schools. However, this past week, I was offered a corporate position making six figures. I accepted. This is a significant increase in salary from my current role and my parents are now making the argument to push law school off a year to save money. I'm good at my job, but I generally don't enjoy it. Do my parents have a point? What would you do? I'm 25 and I feel stuck waiting to start law school in fall in the fall of 2023. I do realize how privileged, lucky I am to have this income increase. I honestly never expected to get the position or to be offered that salary amount. I appreciate any advice you have to offer. Thanks. Uh, Hmm, okay.
0: I just think Hayden is in a really good negotiating position here. Um, Your your best alternative to a negotiated agreement Hayden with these law schools, your best alternative is walk away and keep making a hundred thousand dollars a year. Absolutely. So what I would say rather than, you know, it doesn't, it's not go this year versus push it off a year. That's not the decision that you have to make. The decision that you have to make is do I want to accept an actual offer on the table? Don't make the decision, Hayden. Don't decide, yes, I'm going to go or no, I'm not going to go and then decide where you're going to go and what price you're going to pay. Instead, the default position is I have a good job. Sure, I don't love it, but I sound like I'm making progress and I'm making a lot of money and you know I can, I can tough this out for a while. Cool. Don't pay for law school and ideally they should be paying you. Plenty of law schools out there give stipends, and sometimes those stipends are five figures. And you should, I think what you should do is you should just insist on getting a really, really good deal. You know what's
1: interesting here is Hayden has a corporate position. I mean, I agree with actually everything you're saying. Hayden should make this decision based on the offers that he gets and then decide whether or not that offer is better than what he's doing right now. I guess my concern is when he says corporate position, the kinds of things that you do in corporate sounds kind of similar to what you might be doing as a lawyer.
0: Oh, most lawyer jobs are corporate positions. And surely the ones that pay six figures, almost all of them are corporate positions. So if you're shitting on corporate positions and you're thinking about the alternative to corporate positions, then yeah, maybe law school just ain't the right thing for you. I mean, unless you really are going to go fight the good fight and, you know, work in the public interest and make $45,000 a year starting salary or, or $55,000 a year starting salary. Yeah. But that's not what most people have in mind. And that's not what most people decide to do after graduating from law school. So it kind of sounds like. I mean, Hayden already is making as much money as, you know. The Law schools love talking about how the average salary for lawyers is $100,000. Hayden's already making more than the average lawyer.
1: And (laughs) it's deceptive because if Hayden ends up falling into the lower group, which is more likely actually, um, then... You're not going to be making as much as you are now. One other thing to keep in mind here is if you're really stingy with the offers that you get, as Nathan suggested, and you say, look, do I really? does this offer really look good enough to jump out of the nice ship that I'm in, um, and you decide not to take any of them, in a year, maybe your job will have grown on you. And maybe you have been given more opportunities and you'll say, hey, you know, it's not as bad as I thought it was. And so that also gives you a chance to again decide do I go or do I just keep going with my job?
0: Yeah, the odds are really good, Hayden, that if you go to law school, you're going to come out paying less, you're going to come out making less than you're making now. Mm -hmm. I mean, unless you are, you know, that you're going down the big law route. If you go down the big law route, You know, and and with a 169 LSAT and you go to the right school, you've got a pretty decent chance of coming out of law school, making one hundred and eighty thousand dollars a year as a corporate lawyer. But one that's a corporate big law firm lawyer. The hours are going to be worse because there's nothing worse than, you know, lawyer hours. The work itself is going to be extremely dry and high stress the attrition rate is very high uh, for a lot of different reasons and so yeah you're you're just like you're going down a very risky path by going to law school everyone is and you've got more to lose hayden because you've already got a six-figure job um i I would i'm going to quadruple down on my initial advice which is do not pay for law school If those offers this year don't absolutely knock your socks off, then yeah, push it off another year.
1: Also, you're 25. So, spending one more year in the workforce can only make you a stronger student.
0: It's relativity, man. All these young people, you know, they think that they think that um, they're going very slowly, Mm -hmm. but that's because time passes faster for younger people, right? It's just harder for younger people to wait. Young people lack patience because they have less time on the planet. So every second and minute and hour feels longer. And so, you know, Hayden, you think that 25 is old. You're like right in the wheelhouse of the average of people starting law school. There are plenty of people who start law school at 30 or 35. You've got all kinds of time here. Um, this is the rare case where your parent, your parents are actually giving you good advice about law school, but you don't need to decide you've got applications in wait and see what those applications look like, but you know, make it clear to the schools that they're going to have to knock your socks off. Like if, if it's not the, if it's not your dream school at a dream price, then yeah, just keep working, keep socking away money. You know, open up a Roth IRA, make those contributions every year. Save
1: it. (laughs) Like, you
0: you know, if you, if you save, like you're making six figures and you're only 25, put 40,000 of that into, uh, a 401k and a Roth IRA and don't touch it and (laughs) don't touch it until you're 65 and you know, do that. Yeah. Do that every year (laughs) for the next 10 years. And it's like, you're guaranteed to be wealthy when you're old. Yep. So, um, I don't know you, it's like, you've already won. I, I mean, I get it that you don't, if you generally don't enjoy your job, then you probably should be looking to upgrade, but law school is going to for sure be a downgrade for three years and then potentially for another 10 after that. I, I just don't, I don't know. I, I The bird in the hand here does seem pretty valuable you know
1: this reminds me of one other thing i know (laughs) we'll let you go soon hayden but um, this one study that talked about the younger you are the more likely you are to quote tunnel which is basically think that you have two choices you either do something or you don't do it or you go this year or you don't go it's like hey look you don't like your job your solution here is oh well let me start law school sooner why not look at other jobs in the company? Why not look at other jobs at other companies? I mean, I, there's so many solutions to what the underlying problem is.
0: Yeah, be a, be a barista or a bartender or like there's many, many, many other paths. And um, yeah, it's I, it's just the, the law school thing is like once you Once you do that, you're like on the hamster wheel. There's like no going back because it's so expensive. It takes three years. It's this whole and it's like basically worthless unless you practice law successfully. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I just I, I don't know one, you know, one thing that that Hayden doesn't say at all. Hayden, as far as we know, may or may not have any exposure whatsoever to lawyers. Like Hayden's parents could both be lawyers (laughs) or Hayden might have never met a lawyer. And one, one thing you're not saying Hayden is, you know, do you know what lawyers do? Do you actually want to do that work? And the question of like, you know, you really shouldn't go to law school unless you have a burning desire to practice law every single day. And I don't think you have that burning desire if you don't know what lawyers do, you can't, it's not possible. Yeah. Right. Like I, I don't accept, oh, I have a burning desire to be a lawyer because lawyers, wow, they're so cool or whatever. It's like, no, no, no. Or or this do argument you,
1: here, which is I have a burning desire to practice law because I don't like my current job. That's not yeah, a or reason. Because I'm 25. Yeah.
0: No. Do, have you ever worked in a law firm? Do you, have you interned? Do you, have you seen what they do every day? Have you talked to your have lawyers you, have,
1: at your company? Mike.
0: Yep. Go talk to counsel. Make make a coffee date or something with the lawyers uh, at your at your company. Um, and if there aren't in house, you might be able to have an information informational interview with whatever law firm your company employs, because surely they do. Um, you could cold reach out to people on LinkedIn or you know your local lawyers around, but get to know lawyers and figure out what they do. And if you actually want to do what they do every day, you know, that's a necessary condition for going down this path. But when in doubt, don't because it'll always be there next year. Yeah. Okay. We have an email here from Kay. This is kind of a long one. Hello. I recently discovered your podcast and LSAT demon. I wish I'd found it sooner because now I realize I've been operating under some poor advice. I'd received from family, friends, and the internet. Yeah, they do tend to give some poor advice. I started studying for the LSAT in March, 2021, but not as much as I should have. Uh, Lots of 15 minute days, not enough one to three hour days. I also spent too much time trying to learn conditional logic and not enough time drilling and taking prep tests. Can you imagine that, Ben? Like starting off your LSAT prep with a whole bunch of stuffy formal logic, like just just studying theoretical logic?
1: Yeah, I mean, I laugh because that was the norm when we started, right? It was like, here's a book. Now do this if-then statement, find its contrapositive, diagram it.
0: Yeah. Then only ifs and the contrapositives. What does some mean? What does most mean? And the <laughs> contrapositives. Yeah. Memorize these terms. That's all bullshit. You need to do real LSAT questions yeah. right away. I mean, I want people doing a diagnostic test on day one. Don't, don't be a coward and don't misunderstand what the point is of doing a diagnostic test. The point of doing a diagnostic test is you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to immediately start fixing those mistakes. And some of those mistakes have to do with conditional logic and some versus most and all that stuff, but it's so boring and stuffy to study it in theory when you could instead just be doing real LSAT practice tests. Ben, you said there's 96 or 98 or something of these tests. So it's the perfect use of your time to do a real practice test or just a section of a practice test or even just one question. Yep. But, If you're not doing real LSAT questions, I don't know what you're doing.
1: Well, the analogy that I got from you a long time ago was it's like getting on a bike versus reading theory about biking. I mean, how many people will sit there and say, well, the balance that you need to have while you're biking involves you know, some trigomo- trig- like trigonometry and blah, blah, yeah, blah. First, blah. you
0: need to understand the physical principles behind a bicycle and how it operates. No, you don't. And the part
1: of the like, brain that I, regulates balance is actually in the very back of your brain. It's like, yeah,
0: no totally. one cares. <laughs> right, well, it's like, I don't think that three-year-old who's totally blasting around everywhere on the bicycle, I don't think that a three-year-old knows any of that yeah. shit. And they seem to be doing just fine. So maybe the best way is to just get on the bike fall down once or twice and then eventually you'll get the feel of it might hurt a little bit Um, but
1: you'll learn way faster than your neighbor who's reading a book about bikes if even such a thing exists
0: yeah and this is just not the type of field for people who are going to give up if they get hurt a little bit yeah right like you're gonna lose you're gonna struggle you're gonna fail get over it do a fucking practice test Mm -hmm. (laughs) all right anyway um i also oh sorry i already read that my cold diagnostic was 154. Okay, that's pretty damn good. Yep. After four weeks of studying, I took another prep test and got a 160. Also, I mean, that's solid. That's a month and you've made six points improvement. Mm-hmm. Another month, another six points, another month, another six points, and you're done basically. I thought, great, I'm ready to take the official test. Oh, <laughs> at a 160. Yeah. I know, I know, I regret this decision now and not taking more PTs before the real thing. I got a 151 on the June of 21 LSAT and a 157 on the August 21 LSAT and applied to schools in September 2021. Oh, Jesus. Yeah.
1: Okay. Here's a candidate that could get that should expect. (laughs) him or herself to get into the 170s and he's applying with a 157.
0: Yeah, 154 if that's a cold diagnostic 154 it's a 50-50 I think. I think half the time yeah, you should expect to get to 170. Yeah. If you actually prep. This you you didn't actually prep. You did 15 minute days, you did a couple practice <laughs> tests and you got a 160 on one of them and you were like, "Great. I'm ready. 160. 160 sucks. What? (laughs) You're settling for a 160? That's, you know, that's not what you want. You want a 170. Yep. Or higher. Um, Okay. So basically what you're telling me is you just didn't prep for the LSAT. I got into the two schools I am interested in, but now I'm looking at paying about $17,000 a year with the merit scholarships they offered. So they did the half-ass cheesy, like, hey, we're going to give you $15,000 a year. And it's like, yeah, but your school costs $32,000 a year. If I had applied with an LSAT in the mid, uh, sorry, in the one sixties, I am certain I would have gotten a full ride at both. I'm not trying to end up on the excuse of the week portion of the podcast, but part of the reason I didn't buckle down and start harder, study harder on my start part of the reason I didn't buckle down and study harder early on in my LSAT journey is because I am a parent to a medically complex toddler, genetic syndrome, lots of doctor's appointments. I work full time. And while I have a supportive partner, he works 6 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. six days a week. So 90% of the childcare responsibilities fall on me. Ben, I think that Kay self-nominated for excuse of the week and is the victim and has now become excuse of the week. <laughs> like I. I not that that's not of course all that shit matters. Yeah. Except that it doesn't matter at all because all that matters is your fucking official LSAT score. Like I just, it's like, so what?
1: Yeah. That's a sad reality. You have to realize that when you apply to schools, even if you had the opportunity to tell them these things, which would just come across negatively, (laughs) um, they're not going to care. They want a high LSAT score.
0: Are they gonna report your medically complex toddler on their five oh nine report? Yeah. If they're not, then your medically complex toddler has nothing to do with this. Yeah. It just you're either gonna you're gonna play the game according to the rules that exist or you're not. And playing the game according to the rules that exist is like get a fucking high LSAT and apply early in the cycle and go for free. Mm. I, I have no doubt that you know what you're talking about when you say that if you would have scored in the 160s, you would have gotten a full ride. And there's nothing stopping you from still doing that. It's just you need to do that next cycle. But this time you have to actually study for the LSAT. And if you're not going to, then you're probably not going to score in the 160s. I I so.
1: wouldn't stop studying until you're you're knocking on the door of 170.
0: Yeah, it does sound like Kay is gonna like sell him or herself short here. Yeah, by by like going to these local schools that are gonna just easily give give him or her a full ride in the one sixties. Um, yeah, aren't there better schools that you could go to with an LSAT in the one seventies? But you know, this is a person with kids and a f- spouse and yeah. like. Maybe there's only two schools that are actually possible, but yeah, paying them seventeen thousand dollars a year unnecessarily because you didn't put the time in for the LSAT would be foolish. Um, you just need to do that. Yep, 15 minutes a day ain't gonna do it. Uh, anyway, now that our child is a bit older and doing better health wise. I feel like I am in a place where I can dedicate more time to the LSAT. Creighton and UNL are the schools I would consider going to due to my family situation. Oh, here it is. My spouse has a stable job and can cover living expenses while I'm in law school. This likely wouldn't be the case if we moved. He would still find work, but probably couldn't make what he is making now. All that sounds kind of speculative, honestly, but okay. Yeah. My sons, yep. Like, how do you know that? Like really? For are you sure? If if you were to get a full ride plus stipend at some really great school, like Chicago kind of is like, city. Hey, come
1: here, we'll pay you money to come to Chicago. You might want to think about it for the long term investment.
0: <laughs> yeah. My son's health condition would make moving and living far away from family support a nightmare, and I ultimately want to live and practice in Omaha, Nebraska. Okay, fine. W- whatever. Sounds like there's lots of reasons for you to try to go to law school close to Omaha, but like paying money for those law schools is a terrible idea. Yep. You just don't have to. Yep. My prep tests are now consistently in the 160 to 164 range. Okay, good. I think you can go higher. And the best way to guarantee that you're going to score a 160 is to get your practice tests up to 168, right? And then it's like you can score 160 in your sleep. So yep. keep studying. Yep. Now that I'm listening to your podcast, I am considering withdrawing for 2022 and reapplying to go in 2023. I know that I can get a score in the 160s, maybe break 170 and go to law school for free. My undergraduate GPA is 3.51. And I think you're going to the scholarship estimator right now. That's at lsatdemon.com slash scholarships. Uh, We use public 509 data to build. We built a tool um, that you can play with, put your LSAT and your GPA, and you should see uh, a whole wide spectrum of different offers from different schools take a look at this what are you what have you finding from the scholarship estimator? yeah so
1: not surprisingly with your gpa of 3.51 and your lsat your official lsat of 157 creighton is giving you quote more than half which means
0: so we nailed it yep they yeah what does creighton cost per year
1: um that's a good question well it's let's see here
0: the estimator uh, has a link to the 509 report for every law school. So you can see where we get our data from. Yeah. Um, and it's a, a easy way to find all the 509s. On the 509, we see how much does Creighton cost per semester?
1: 22000
0: Okay. So Creighton costs 44000 a year. They offered K, uh, what, $23,000 a year? Yeah. No, 20... Wait,
1: 44. What's the name? Minus 17. What'd she get? She got.
0: Yeah. Sorry. She got, oh, she's going to have to pay 17. Mm, Okay. Okay. So they offered 27. 27. Okay. Yep. Yep. More than half. Okay. So the estimator nailed it. Love it. Yep. Um, That's an estimator. It's not always going to be exactly right every time, but what we've heard so far is that the, the numbers tend to be spot on. And there is a thing right there that you can report. If you see anomalies, please do report it. Cause we'll go look at our algorithm there and try to fix that uh
1: yeah so if she gets a 160 it's still at more than half she gets 162 that's when it bumps up to more than full so
0: more than so wait
1: 161 is more than half and 162 is more than full obviously it's not that exact of a science but the uh going into the 160s is definitely going to help substantially with creighton um, yeah. The other one was UNL.
0: Just get yourself a 165. It's not that hard. Yeah. Your cold diagnostic, again, was 154. There's absolutely no reason why you can't get a 165 easily with the proper prep. Yeah. 165 or bust for you, okay? And then apply at the beginning of next cycle, and you're going to be going to these same law schools for free. Mm-hmm. Um, or they're going to be paying you to go to these schools, which they should, because you're overqualified to go to these regional schools and they know that. Yeah. Uh, by the way, don't tell them about your medically complex toddler. Don't tell them about your partner who has a job in Omaha. Don't tell them that it's your dream to practice law in Omaha. Um, this is all a negotiation and you You want them to credibly think that you would leave and go to Chicago, as Ben said, Mm -hmm. or Wash U in St. Louis or wherever. Like there are better schools out there that you could get into with a 165 or 168. And if you show them that 165 or 168, they're going to have to show you that full ride plus stipend potentially in order to entice you to go to their school as long as you don't disclose a bunch of stuff that locks you into Omaha. Yeah. Okay.
1: I would apply Um, to those other schools, even if you're not serious for the negotiation. You should just even for your own curiosity, right in the last listener, um, you were talking about, Hey, look at those offers on the table and then decide if you're really going to take that offer or stick with your six figure salary job. Yep. Do the same thing. Apply to these schools that you can get into and not pay and then see how you feel about getting yep. a stipend from them.
0: Totally. Let's get this. Let's go out of the realm of theoretical possibilities and fantasy. And instead, let's look at the offers on the table. Yeah. So apply early next cycle, apply to a broad range, including some reach types of schools. And then you can compare all of those offers. And even if you don't actually say, hey, Creighton, I got into Wash WashU or hey, Creighton, I got into chicago or northwestern or whatever and you don't have to actually do that step of the negotiation maybe it's just for you that you know that you got into those schools yeah and and then you can decide whether you really want to go to creighton and how much it's worth it to go to creighton yeah okay uh i'm considering withdrawing for 2022 and reapplying to go in 2023 I know that I can get a score in the 160s, maybe break 170 and go to law school for free. My undergraduate GPA is 3.51, but I'm really bummed about not going in 2022. What? People always say that. It always makes me mad. I'm, I'm like, I don't know why. I shouldn't get angry about it, but it's like, you're bummed. Who cares? Irrelevant. Don't care.
1: Well, you just <laughs> you're fo- had a
0: similar reaction.
1: <laughs> you're focusing on the wrong thing. It's like, hey, if someone walked up to you, knocked on your door, and was like, I guess they knocked on your door and then walked up to you, but they're like, hey, um, if you just put off law school for a year, I'm gonna give you a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. Would you be like, no, no, get out of here. I I gotta start this fall. I'm gonna be bummed. And they're like, oh, we got a hundred grand right here in the car. Um, but okay I will go to the next
0: applicant's house yeah So now we're getting up to Kay's actual question. I'm planning on retaking the LSAT in January 2022, seven weeks from now. My thought process is, if I study seriously for the next seven weeks, there is a good chance I score in the 160s, and then I can use that score to ask the law schools that have accepted me to reconsider my scholarship offers. If they say no, well, then I can continue with the plan to withdraw and reapply. I'd still have two more chances to take the LSAT. But if they say yes, well, then great, I can potentially get a full Ride and go in 2022 as planned.
1: Uh, okay, I don't necessarily hate it. My worry is that she gets a full ride or something very close and accepts that when you yeah. could get something better. In September. that's exactly
0: what's going to happen. These schools are going to come back with like, oh, okay, yeah, well, um, here's five thousand right. more wow. dollars. <laughs> we'll, we'll give you, um, yeah, we're, we're, we've upped our offer. We're now going to give you our special deans priority (laughs) priority scholarship, which is all just words that mean nothing. Like how much is the dollars? (laughs) And what they're going to say is we're going to give you 35,000. Yep. And you're going to take it. (laughs) That's what's going to happen. If you do this plan,
1: you're going to be like, ah, look how much money I got
0: over what I started with. You're going to anchor on the wrong thing. You're not going to have put yourself in the best negotiating position. You're not going to ever have applied to Chicago or WashU or whatever. You're not going to know what your true value is in the marketplace. Yep. And you're going to end up taking a shitty offer if you do that.
1: Because you got to remember, any money that you're not getting, you have to multiply by three, and then you have to add all that interest. Because... Yeah you it's not just a it's not just a yeah. single year decision it's and the price is deceptive what
0: about the stipend that you don't even know you have no idea how much the stipend could have been yeah i mean the stipend could have been ten thousand dollars a year we don't know i mean i'm not sure if those schools give those kinds of stipends but it sounds like they maybe do give stipends and like you know even if it's only a couple thousand dollars a year stipend like a books coverage i think that's a pretty common thing that they do if there was a stipend that was going to pay you $2,000 or $4,000 a year for books, you're, you know, this plan doesn't, it's not, you're not going to get that. Yeah. Don't do it. So here's the question. Is this a terrible or a reasonable idea? I can only take the LSAT three more times. Am I burning one of my chances to take it in the hopes that they will reconsider my merit offers based on a new score? that's you're thinking about the wrong thing. You you just it you shouldn't be worrying about that. You should be worrying about putting yourself in a bad negotiating position. Yeah. You're already in a bad negotiating position because you applied with a shitty LSAT. And now you're going to be in a slightly better negotiating position, but not a good negotiating position because you're going to be negotiating with them way late in the cycle.
1: By the way, I'm looking at Nebraska's Nebraska Laws 509 Report for 2020. Okay. Uh, any guess what percentage of applicants received more than full? So, stipend. They got paid okay. to go to law school.
0: No one would want to go there unless they already live there. Uh, They are a regional law school. Mm, I have no idea what they're ranked. Yeah. Can you tell me what their median LSAT is? Yes.
1: Median LSAT is
0: 156. E. Not a great school. Not exactly attracting, you know, super killer types of applicants. Yeah. Um, if they have aspirations of like making a name for themselves, they're going to have to be throwing around a lot of scholarship money. They're
1: ranked 87th, by the way. According to the US News and World Report.
0: I don't know. Because you asked me the question, it makes me think that the number is probably high. What are they giving merit or giving more than full ride to like 20% of their class? Twenty (laughs) four. So, Kay, you know, like not only like they're charging you tuition so that they can turn around and give it to the other people. They're giving
1: it to a lot of people. I mean, full tuition is one thing. (laughs) They are paying people extra money to come to their school.
0: Yep. That, that's the game. So like, yeah, do not go to that law school unless they're paying you to go there. They're paying a quarter of their class, not just full tuition, but they're paying you to go there. Yeah. Do you want to go there and be one of the people who's not getting paid? Yep. Because if you are, then you're paying the other people and those other people have better LSAT and better GPA than you. And now you're going to have to compete with them for grades. Mm-hmm. So You need to buckle down and do the work. Uh, You have a lot of obligations. Many people do. You need to find one high quality hour every day. Sometimes maybe more than that, but one hour a day should be enough to continue making progress. You should be able to get your LSAT into the 160s or 170s pretty easily if you work at it steadily.
1: Yep. Turn off your phone. Find that place in your world where you can just focus entirely on the LSAT and make yourself a hundred grand in the fastest way possible.
0: Yeah. And maybe explain it to your partner. I mean, you said you're doing 90% of the childcare. Um, If your partner knew that you were going to make $60,000 in the next three months by buckling down on the LSAT, your partner might make the mathematical decision that they want to bite off a little more of the childcare duties so that you can study for the LSAT a little bit more. Yep. It's going to say it might even be worth paying for childcare yeah. in order to, uh, to do this. It's almost right? like, I mean, we're talking about a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I would just withdraw. Okay. I just think you're gonna, it's just human nature. You're just, if you do this, you know, you're being, I, I have to, I, I hate to say this to you, but it, it sounds lazy, honestly. The, the, you're bummed about not going in 2022. You've only studied for the LSAT for 15 minutes a day. You had a diagnostic of 154, but you're still not at 160. That's because you haven't done the work. And this route of like, yeah, but maybe I could still squeak in through the back door through some last minute negotiation is just like you're kind of being lazy. And instead, you should work hard for the next three months, apply or, or, or whatever it takes. You've got three more bites at it. So, you know, between now and September, get yourself a one sixty five at least or even better. Yeah. Get yourself a one seventy And then apply broadly and you'll be, you'll be amazed at what kinds of doors open up to you. Uh, and then it'll, you'll force Nebraska and you'll force Creighton to like, give you a full ride plus stipend. Yep. You don't want to be begging them to reconsider their offer. (laughs) You want to be obviously overqualified on the day you apply. Okay. We have a personal statement in front of us. Uh, this is from Volodymyr. I think we can call him Vlad. Okay. I think it's on you to read okay, it. Okay, great. Oh, um, I should say, all personal statement submissions to the show now have to go through a gauntlet at lsat.link/statement. Mm-hmm. Yep. lsat.link/statement. If you would like to submit a personal statement for the show, we are going to do no more than one per week, and uh, Haley is on the job reading all of those, and she's going to be sending only one of them through every week. So this is the one that made it through the gauntlet. This is the best one that we've uh,
1: have we received.
0: Have we read Vlad's statement before? And he resent. We might have. It does sound very familiar, doesn't yeah. it?
1: Yeah. Okay. So here we go. Immigrating on my own from Ukraine and enlisting in the army were crucial first steps in my journey to entering the legal profession. Um. I don't love this opening. You you have two subjects. You have immigrating on my own from Ukraine and you have enlisting in the army. And they are the subjects of your sentence and what are they? They're crucial first steps. I'm already like questioning really like how did that have to do to you going to law school? And I don't actually care. Yeah, you're
0: Well, so what happened here is Vlad turned good facts or interesting facts, right? These are critical parts of the story. Immigrating from Ukraine, that's a critical part of your story. We got it. Enlisting in the army, critical part of your story. We got it. So we have learned two facts about Vlad. Mm-hmm. He immigrated from Ukraine, he enlisted in the army. Mm-hmm. We we learned those facts, but Vlad wrapped it in a whole bunch of extra bullshit that didn't need to be there. Yeah. And you know the the one commandment that he violated here, What's the verb of that sentence, dude? we Vlad. I want you to figure it out oh. for yourself. What is the verb of the sentence? Yeah. The verb of that sentence is were. Yep. It's a form of the verb to be. You need to get rid of that shit because it's just inherently bad writing. Yeah. I'm not saying you never use those words. I am saying use fewer of them because what happened here is you decided to wrap good facts or useful, interesting facts that I'm sure are critical parts of your story in this conclusion. What is the conclusion? These were crucial first steps in my journey to entering the legal profession.
1: You're just inviting like pushback. I'm like, really, this is, this is, uh, these could be crucial first steps for anything. So why should I feel special about them, uh, in relationship to you entering the legal profession? I just, Um, I don't want to hear it. I want to hear what you did. I want to hear that you immigrated. I want to hear that you enlisted in the army, but then just leave it at that.
0: Say what you did and get rid of the damn conclusions. Yep. Okay. Keep going. When I
1: first moved to the United States, I attended a language school and held multiple jobs to pay for my education and provide for my family in Ukraine. Okay.
0: The sentence is a little heavier than I would like, Vlad. You're wrapping, you're wrapping too many ideas into each sentence. Yep. Like, cause that sentence you've got moving to the U S attending a language school, having multiple jobs and paying for your education and providing for your family in Ukraine. It seems like it could have been two sentences instead of just one, Yeah. but it's useful facts and it's about like, so the verb there is I. And now we've got moved and attended and paid and provided. You know, it's like it's we're using at least active verbs with Vlad as the star of the show instead of this weird immigrating and enlisting as the star of the show. Yep. Okay.
1: Navigating through a complex immigration system, I changed my visa status various times while maintaining my legal presence in the country.
0: I don't find that very interesting. I, I don't care.
1: It almost feels too, Vlad, like you're trying to say, look, I'm I'm like a per- I'm a lawyer I'm a per- because
0: <laughs> I made it through the immigration system. Yeah. yeah, don't don't do that.
1: Being a first generation immigrant, I wanted to settle down here and earn the right to be called an American. So
0: all mental state.
1: All three of your last three sentences have started with this like introductory phrase. When I first moved to the United States, navigating through a complex immigration system, being a first generation immigrant, it's like, okay. Like,
0: yeah, you don't need 10 words, a comma, and then the subject of the sentence, which is I, you can start your sentence with I, it's okay to start your sentence with I.
1: Okay. So you continue. I agree. The only way to do that for me was through joining the military. After living in the United States for three years as an international student, joining the United States Army was an honor that seemed unattainable not that long ago. A lot of commentary, I like the sentiment. Yeah,
0: yeah. The sentiment is good. The writing is not good. Um, there again, Vlad used "was" here as the verb. You know, so it's just it's like inherently telling when you do that. Yeah. Instead of showing. Um, but okay, so Vlad wants to tell us his immigrant story and he's going to, you know, join, he's going to enlist in the army yeah. to get his citizenship. Okay, great.
1: During my military service, I developed fitness plans to rehabilitate injured soldiers using my experience as a personal trainer and my fitness education acquired in Ukraine. Okay. As a team leader, I trained my squad in military operations. Having assessed each individual and their capabilities, I developed personally tailored programs to increase effectiveness and efficiency.
0: Boy, he really does it every single sentence, doesn't he? He has to... Like, every sentence has an opening clause, comma, I. Yep. You got to kill some of those opening clauses. Yep. Uh, Generally, your sentences are too long. I mean, uh, I... That the first sentence there, why not just, I developed fitness plans to rehabilitate, to rehabilitate injured soldiers, period. Yep. Like, why not mix in a short sentence every once in a while? Mm -hmm. Because the, the clause in front of that during my military service is obvious. That's just, we know you're, you're developing fitness plans to rehabilitate injured soldiers. This is during your military service. We got it. Mm -hmm. So you didn't need that. And then the using my experience as a personal trainer and my fitness education acquired in Ukraine, that's probably on your resume and I don't give a shit. Yeah. Okay, Uh, uh, why do you think that's relevant?
1: It's interesting because it's almost like overselling, right? I developed fitness plans to rehabilitate injured soldiers, period. It's like, okay the fact that you were doing it, the fact that the military allowed you to do it um, is enough. It's like, you must know your shit. But now it's like, you're like, see, yeah. cause I, I was a personal trainer and oh, but I, I had a fitness education. It's like, now you're, you're protesting too much.
0: Yeah, either you, yeah, either you were qualified according to the military, in which case that's good enough for me and I don't need to know the qualifications.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or you weren't qualified, but you apparently did it anyway. Which in, its, which in a way is also like kind of a point in your favor. Mm-hmm. Just say what you did. I, I don't need all the rest of it. Yep.
1: Okay. He continues. In three months, our team successfully passed the requirements to participate in the Atlantic Resolve operation, the Army's strategic deterrence mission in Eastern Europe. Being trilingual my superiors relied on me to establish communications with foreign military officials in the region.
0: I think that's wrong.
1: Uh, yeah. Cause what's <laughs> the
0: being trilingual would, how would I, refer to the superiors? Yes.
1: That's exactly what's happening here. So this is grammatically incorrect. If they were trilingual, they actually wouldn't need to rely on you. They would rely on themselves. <laughs> this also, I'm like my, I, I, I would prefer more facts like saying that they relied on you to establish communications with foreign military officials in the region strikes me as unlikely um maybe they did so why not just say that instead of like again this like conclusatory (laughs) my superiors relied on me why not just say i communicated with foreign military officials in the region it would just
0: or say more specifically how they relied on yeah. you. What did they actually do? Yeah. Because, yeah, it's a conclusion. Conclusatory. I forgot about that. Uh, it's conclusatory mm-hmm. to say that your superiors relied on yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, great.
1: Despite my impactful experiences in the army. Mm, don't ever say impact. I
0: hate where this is going. Wherever this goes, I hate it.
1: Yeah, despite. Because
0: <laughs> you're shitting on your own experience. Whatever you say next is going to suck.
1: Yep. I knew, okay, mental state. I wanted to continue my education and move into move on to a career in the civilian sector.
0: We know you're applying to law school. You don't need to fucking protest so much.
1: Yeah. Like I I, I want Yeah.
0: Vlad. Present yourself as a badass military dude. Who now That's the point. Yeah. Like I want badass military dude in my law school. I know that if you kicked ass in the military in any of the armed forces, I know that you have discipline, work ethic, you can take orders, you can follow orders. you're like you're used to working within a system. I know that you're gonna be a good worker bee. Like I already want you if you just make yourself look like a badass, successful person in any of the armed forces. You don't need to say, despite these impactful experiences, I wanted to do something else because I know that you're applying to my law school and I need people in my law school. Yep. He can, why does everybody want to do this? (sighs) What, like why, why it's like so common. I mean, everybody thinks that this is what they have to write, but it's like, all you do is sound like everybody else who's protesting too much. It's about you. It's not about, like no one is judging you for deciding not to make a lifetime career in the military. Yeah. Cause that's what that sounds like, right? It's like explaining why I didn't stay in the military forever.
1: Well, it's funny too, because you bring attention to it, which actually makes me think about it. If you didn't bring attention to it, I'd probably be like, okay, you're a kick-ass military guy. And now you want to do something else. Instead, you're like addressing it. So then I'm
0: thinking... Is it really despite these experiences? Can I stretch, (laughs) can I stretch this to like a dating analogy? Mm, Okay. mm -hmm. You're on a first, maybe it's a blind date or something. Mm. Brand new person. Yeah, Yeah. Seems like it's going well. You feel like you're getting along, you know? And if you start going into Stories about your past relationship and why they ended.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like,
0: I don't. I don't think you really want to be going in. Like, there's not a lot of ways you can win by telling this prospective new partner Mm -hmm. that about why you didn't stay with the previous partner, like whether it was you or them, it doesn't (laughs) really either way. It's not going to help your case. It's not good. Right. You're either shitting on
1: someone else or you're (laughs) shitting on
0: yourself. Right. It's just like there, there's no good that can come from that. So focus on your achievements and shut up. All this other stuff just you just cut it out.
1: Yeah. He continues, using resources at my disposal. Okay, totally unnecessary preamble. Using resources at my disposal, comma, I graduated debt free while being on active duty.
0: That has why are you sharing that with the law schools? You want them to think you're rich?
1: Yeah, that's weird. It's just a, it's, I think he's like, look, I, I was so responsible. I didn't take on debt. They don't give one fuck.
0: No, they actually look at that and go, oh, this dude might have family money. Let's not give him a scholarship. Cut that. Okay. I
1: I earned a, a bachelor's degree in criminal justice with honors attending evening classes after my shifts. Again, this is on your resume. This is when I discovered my interest in law. Ooh, I don't want to hear
0: this. (laughs) Yeah, I don't like any of that. Your bachelor's degree in criminal justice is on your resume. I think it's also like, I hate to, this is, people are going to hate me for saying this, but that's just not a like prestigious degree or anything.
1: Nope.
0: (laughs) Like a bachelor's degree in criminal justice is not a law degree. So what is it? I don't know what it is, but it's not like you're not impressing anybody with that. So why are you it's all it's on your it's fine. It's a bachelor's degree. (laughs) It's fine. It's on your resume. Why are you saying is that really like naming your degree is really your best foot forward? I don't think it is. I think you've got lots of other success. Like, why were you so he dipped his toe in the water of telling us. Like in that one paragraph, he was developing fitness plans to rehabilitate injured soldiers, but that only got half a sentence. He was training a squad in military operations. That was one sentence.
1: Apparently got him into the Atlantic reserve operation again. He
0: went to, he went to whatever that is, the Atlantic resolve operation in Eastern Europe. And he was, he's establishing communications with foreign military officials. That got one sentence. Yeah. And then he's back into this just bullshit. Like just the whole la- the whole second half of that paragraph is like, "Wait a minute. I thought you were going to tell me about success stories and instead you're talking about your under undergraduate degree and how you knew you wanted to continue your education and move on to a career in the civilian set." It's a, such a missed opportunity. Like, why not just go deep and focus on successes somewhere?
1: Speaking multiple languages to
0: foreign military officials. I <laughs> <That> got one <laughs> sentence in passing. Like, oh, no big deal. Let me go back, though, to telling you about how, I gotta, despite my impactful experiences in the army, I really didn't want to do any of that stuff. Yeah. Okay. After
1: separating from the army. <laughs> separating. After separating...
0: After breaking up with the army.
1: (laughs) I completed a paralegal program and got a job at a litigation law firm working under the supervision of four attorneys. Okay. Why are you rehashing your resume? This is what you're doing. You're rehashing your resume. mm, Okay. What you're supposed to do with your personal statement is take one bullet point, maybe two bullet points, not even jobs, bullet points from a job and tell us a story that unpacks that bullet point so we can actually see what you did. You're giving us multiple jobs and then multiple bullet points (laughs) on your resume. This is your resume in prose form. As a legal assistant, I conducted trademark and business research, bullet point. Draft, draft? Oh, I conduct, sorry. As a legal assistant, I conduct trademark and business research. Draft responses to office actions file legal documents in state and federal courts, draft notices, and create templates for discovery motions. That's long. As the only employee at the firm without a law degree, I have also taken upon myself the responsibilities of an office administrator, creating... Mm,
0: (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) I'm going to call bullshit on that. You have taken those responsibilities upon yourself. Really? You're the only person there who's not a lawyer. They didn't assign you those tasks. You assigned them to yourself. Yeah. Mm. No, you didn't. (laughs) They told you to do those things. Okay, go ahead.
1: Uh, I've also taken upon myself the responsibilities of an office administrator, creating invoices. No,
0: you are an office administrator. You work for these lawyers. They tell you to do these things. That's why you work there. You wouldn't work there if they didn't need those things done. Okay, go ahead. Creating
1: invoices, conducting intake calls, and troubleshooting issues at the workplace. The le- the legal work I have at the office helped me discover my newfound fascination with litigation. Mm, Mental state. I don't. I don't really care ugh. about any of this.
0: Yeah. Oh, God. Stop talking about your feelings. Stop talking about your thoughts. Stop talking about your interests. Instead, focus on what you do. The fact that you do all this legal work is great. I don't like that you described it as legal work.
1: (laughs) No, again, it's overselling.
0: Um, Yeah. Say what you did. Say what you do. And don't say anything else, please.
1: Okay. Here's some more. One of the most compelling matters I worked on was a New York case. Cut.
0: Was is the verb there. It's a bad sentence. It's also just a conclusion.
1: It's like, oh, it was so compelling. Wow, great. This was compelling. Tell me what you did. Really? Our client was a startup owner needing legal protection from colleagues who attempted to remove him from his company. As it was an urgent issue, we filed for a temporary restraining order in the Northern Federal District to restore our client's access to the company. Since no one was familiar with the statutory regulations and procedures in the New York Federal District, mm. I examined local rules for guidance on drafting and filing a motion for a temporary restraining order and preliminary injunction.
0: Your sentences are too long, Vlad. They are too long. You need to you need to cut these sentences down. He did that thing again there where he had the the preamble. Yep. Which I'm already worried about the preamble because it's claiming to be a lawyer almost, right? Like everyone else in the firm is a lawyer. You're not a lawyer. The fact that you're not a lawyer means that I'm not that, I I don't really wanna hear about you being the one who's examining these local rules for, I don't know. I I think if you cut the, the preamble, then it sounds like you're doing work that you should be doing. Yes.
1: Now, now it's that
0: preamble in there. It's like, Whoa, did they know you were doing that? Should you have been doing that? Are you really the guy to be doing that? You're telling me nobody else in the firm is familiar with these regulations and procedures. Probably your firm shouldn't have taken this case or it should have been one of the lawyers who was doing this research. Yeah. Or
1: fine, you did like some preliminary work for them to make their job easier. And I think that's what you're saying. If you take this stuff out, then it just sounds like you're doing supportive work, supportive legal work, which is great. It shows that you know you're familiar with this stuff. But again, it's it's strange.
0: Um, due to the time-sensitive... Oh, sorry. Before we get there, that word, that, that sentence had 36 words in it. Uh, that is unacceptable. Y- you... Your sentences, uh, Vlad. Your sentences need to be twenty-five words hard maximum. Yep. It will transform your writing. Uh, it, it's you, you're you're not a good enough writer to write sentences that are that long. So cut them down and be more plain spoken, and look for opportunities to cut out these preambles and what is it? A, what's a what's that? What's not a what's at the end? What's a pre not a preamble, but a yeah the the closing. <laughs> the closing, the comma, and then a bunch of bullshit cut yeah, that Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get down, get down to it, dude. Yeah. And you, you're going to need shorter sentences. Shorter sentences are going to be your best friend here. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, last sentence of this paragraph.
1: I wanted to say that the closing, the, the opposite of the preamble was the amble. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the middle. that's the middle, post-amble. right? The postamble. Amble. The most, okay. whatever, Is that yeah. a word?
0: Vlad normally here has a preamble. Then he finally ambles. <laughs> then the postamble. It's like just, just let's do the ambling. <laughs> that doesn't
1: sound great either. Anyways, no. due to the time sensitive nature of the case, it was imperative. I filed the documents before sunrise leading me to work overnight
0: (laughs) i don't like that get get find a different anecdote i don't like that anecdote Yep. as a response it makes yeah well it it makes your law firm sound like shit or you're lying or it's just a one-off thing that happened in which case i don't care yeah right it's like the, the there's no way to win here it's like it kind of looks like you've got a janky law firm and a shitty client and you're doing this research and popping off filing motions without any approval from your attorneys. And you're staying up overnight to file these documents before sunrise. I I don't like it. I, I wouldn't, I would use a different, like, I think what you're trying to do there is demonstrate commitment and work ethic and whatever else. Like I like the sentiment that was behind it, but I don't think that it's having the, the effect that you think it's having. Yeah. It's, it it makes, I don't know, this whole, the whole thing now looks janky. It's like, you're the only guy in the law firm who isn't a lawyer, but you're assigning yourself the administration, the administrative tasks. That sounds like a lie. Then nobody knows these procedures, but you're the one who's doing the legal research and filing documents or like filing motions in the middle of the night. What now? Okay, go ahead.
1: Next paragraph. As a response, the opposing counsel filed a cross motion to dismiss. The structure of the motion presented a novel issue no one from the office had encountered before. (laughs) So
0: I (laughs) solved the legal matter because I am not a lawyer, but I... Practice law in this janky law firm that I work for.
1: Okay. (laughs) To remedy this situation, I examined the New York federal case law, locating relevant matters with a similar problem, and created a template for our opposition. I finalized the motion along with supporting documents and prepared the binder for the hearing.
0: This this sounds like you're practicing law without a license.
1: Yep. Shortly after filing the opposition, I discovered discrepancies in the documents we had submitted. Oops.
0: Oh, boy.
1: (laughs) that you submitted, apparently you did all on your own. Yeah, it's like, I did all
0: the work, (laughs) submitted all the documents in the middle of the night. No one else at my firm knew anything about this, (laughs) but then as soon as it's, I discovered discrepancies, then it's now the documents we had submitted. (laughs) (laughs) I did it all, but then I discovered errors that,
1: and look at Other me people. discovering errors. Now he's gonna. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like he's gonna shit on someone. He says the attorney overseeing the process failed to provide correct evidentiary objections along with proper exhibits.
0: <laughs> I hate this so much. Oh, this is not okay. good.
1: Realizing the gravity of such an error, I, ret- you realized it. You're uh, the attorney overseeing didn't realize it. I r- retrieved and revisited. Oh, sorry. I revised. revised. I retrieved and revised drafts along with supporting documents. I contacted the clerk to rectify the issue before the hearing commenced. I notified the lead counsel about discrepancies and provided him with copies of correct exhibits along with evidentiary objections. Eliminating this major oversight helped us get a ruling in our favor and save our client from a disastrous
0: outcome. Saved your client from a disastrous outcome that you guys almost created. Like, I I don't like, this sounds to me like you're solving an emergency that was caused by you.
1: Mm -hmm. And this weird firm. Anyways, last paragraph. Here we go. Working as a paralegal, I discovered my interest in civil litigation. Stop it. While some might,
0: I don't, it's a mental state. I just don't want to hear about why. I don't. I don't care what you're interested in or why you got interested in it. I, I want to hear about work you did.
1: This guy's really interested in law school. Maybe we should have him come to our law school. <laughs> While some might find this process tedious, I consider it one of the most exciting and thrilling practices of law. I
0: don't give a fuck what you consider. I don't care. I, God, <laughs> how about the? That's like the the. That is a very irritating tone that he just took. <laughs> it's like that's ve- it's super condescending, yeah, yeah, to anyone else who doesn't, you know, others might find this tedious, but I find it exciting and thrilling. <laughs> one of the most exciting, really, one of the most exciting and thrilling practices of law <laughs> says I who am, is not a lawyer and Baby, I not baby a lawyer lawyer. and I have never practiced law. I mean, I have, I have, it seems like practiced law without a license, which you shouldn't talk about doing. Um, but otherwise you have no authority to make this claim. Like it, no one fucking cares. The people reading this document know much more about law than you do. They know much more about legal practice than you do. And you're just totally condescending to them. You, you are insulting your reader. <laughs>
1: He continues, the drafting of discovery requests, timing, filing, timing, filing of motions. (laughs) Okay, it doesn't sound quite right. Conducting depositions. All these elements are part of a puzzle I want to learn how to solve. The strategic thinking surrounding the litigation process makes it a fascinating endeavor to me. (laughs) Understanding the challenges attorneys face when litigating a case and how to overcome them gave me a much-needed insight into the legal profession. What are you talking about? It's just mental state after mental state after mental state. Um, mental, sta- mental sturbation? Mental state sturbation. Mental yeah. state sturbation. Okay. The coalescence of being an immigrant, veteran, and paralegal provided me with the solid foundation for success I will build upon in a law school. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> the coalescence of these things.
0: Hmm. What, what are you talking about? (laughs) The coalescence? (gasps) You know, Vlad, you tried to do too much here. This is not an immigrant. This is not your immigration story at all. Nope. I I thought you were going to tell an immigration story, but you got that over and done with in like two sentences in the very beginning of the statement, which is fine if you want to focus on being a veteran. And I thought I was going to get a veteran story, but I didn't get a veteran story either because you gave that short shrift. The The bulk of this statement is about your work as a paralegal, and you can absolutely talk about your work as a paralegal. Yeah. And you probably should. Well, I don't know. I, I would focus on the military stuff or I would focus on the paralegal stuff, but I wouldn't try to do both in one statement because it's you're not going deep enough on what you actually did. The paralegal stuff, weirdly, you know, you shit on your own firm. Like the reader here thinks that you work at a real janky law firm. Like it just doesn't look like your firm is doing good work. You're you're responsible for shit that you should not be responsible for. And this anecdote, you, you chose to spend like a paragraph, actually two paragraphs about this New York case and I mean, I, it seems to me that you guys were doing last minute shit and you fucked it up and then you fixed it and doing last minute shit, fucking it up and fixing it is not exactly a win. So I I feel like you could have chosen a better anecdote if you did want to choose an anecdote, but I don't know. It, it, like the overall gist of this is like Vlad I'm seeing too much ego. Doesn't it feel Ben like Vlad thinks he, he knows what he's getting himself into. He, he, in his own mind, he's got it all wrapped up. Yep. He knows exactly what it's all about. Yep. In, in his own mind, but (laughs) your, your reader knows more than you do. And They see hubris from young people all day, every day in their personal statement as they read these personal statements. And so, I don't know, you come off looking like another naive, you know, you you come off like a kid who thinks they know it all. At least that's what I get out of it. Are you you getting the same vibes?
1: Same vibe. And it's kind of helter skelter. This statement's all over the place. So
0: because he tried to do too much. Yeah. Like you don't, this is, you're not supposed to be rehashing your entire life that you can't like, because we got, you know, this is Ukraine all the way to practicing law in New York. And instead it, it you know, you, you need to go deeper on one of these things and make yourself look like a humble, hardworking, smart, diligent, thoughtful, whatever you but that, that's not coming across here as much as it could be. I, I I, would like him to start over and write only about his military experiences.
1: That works for me. I would say right now we're looking at a 148,
0: 150. Boy, Haley, is this really the best we got all week? Or, I mean, I, like, Haley, you're doing a great job. And I'm, I'm glad I'm no longer reading these statements as they come in because it was bad for my mental health. But, um, this is not like this. I don't know this, this needs, this has significant room for improvement. I guess maybe we should also say at this point that, you know, it is apparent from the hundreds of submissions that we receive. (laughs) Can you even imagine Ben what the law schools get?
1: Well, because most people too are probably (laughs) writing these statements. With absolutely no frame of reference, right? They're just like, okay, they read the question and they start writing something. And who knows what they're these questions are open-ended. Yeah. And they're
0: just I I, I think you could probably add you Ben, you said you thought this was a 148. Hmm. It's probably like a 158 compared to what law schools actually get. Like we can probably add 10 to our estimate of what these are actually worth in the eyes of the law schools, because I don't think law schools, like I think the vast majority of what they get is complete trash.
1: Total garbage. Yeah.
0: Like they're admitting you based on your LSAT and your GPA. They're not admitting you based on your personal statement. Yep. Cause these personal statements that like everybody submits, they're just so bad. And the truth is it probably doesn't matter that much. You want to put your best foot forward but it probably doesn't matter that much. It's just like for our taste, if you want to write something that we would read and go, oh, we've got to admit that person. um, These aren't it.
1: Yep. Cool. Well, hope that was helpful. Thanks for uh, sending that in Vlad and good luck. I think you have a lot of stuff there. That's what's crazy is you have things to write about. So
0: I would pick, I would, I would, I would write about the, Mil- what you did in the military, and just make yourself look like a badass, but but do it in a plain spoken manner. Because Vlad, you go way in you you oversell. Yep. You got to cut out the conclusions. You got to stop overselling. You got to stop trying to take credit for or everything. explaining just facts.
1: Did. I think that's part of his problem too. Is he's like, well, I did this because I was the only one in the firm who had, you know, um, did not have a legal degree
0: you're shitting on the rest of your firm when you don't don't explain it just say you did it just say
1: hey i took on the administrative stuff it's like
0: oh you did wow
1: great but instead your like explanation of why you did it now gets into this weird
0: territory yep i would talk about your time in the military cut out all the conclusions talk about your time as a paralegal cut out all the conclusions Either one of those is fine. I, I think so. I think this, this statement has two big problems. I think it's trying to do too much. It also wastes so much space. I mean, half of this is conclusory, mm-hmm. right? If you cut out the mental states out of this, you'd be left with like one third of the document. It, it's Vlad over and over and over saying, what he likes and what he thinks and what he's interested in and you know how these just these grand conclusions about how he's situated because of whatever. It's like it's too much of what is in his head and not not enough of what he did at work. Yeah. Okay.
1: Cool. Um be LSAT famous. Get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com If you have questions about the LSAT Demon, email help at lsatdemon.com. You can always check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That comes out We just cleared 100 episodes Mm.
0: published. Yeah, we got five episodes a week coming at you. 4 a.m., I believe, 4 a.m. Eastern. So if you would like a daily shot of us um, and other members of our team, too, we've got some other voices on that show. So you'll hear uh, LSAT Demon teachers and staffers and stuff uh, on the LSAT Demon Daily podcast.
1: That was episode two, uh, sorry, 326. That was episode 326 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.